0: To the podcast i am rick thomas and it's been a long time i think over the past two weeks i have done two podcasts i haven't done a lot of podcasting because we have in the words of the immortal johnny cash we have been everywhere man we have been all over the place we currently have logged in 2500 miles we have probably another 1500 miles to go We've been out in the Midwest, mostly in Colorado, traveling, uh, doing meetings, meeting with different people. It has been a fun and a busy time. It's been a tiring time, but it has also been rewarding to be in these churches that the Lord has permitted us to meet, specifically to go and speak. Part of my family is with me as well but we have uh, been i have been speaking uh, in several churches we have uh, several more meetings throughout the summer and so we are traveling a lot and because of that it is keeping me from uh, being more consistent on doing our life over coffee podcast and i'm trying to find a gap within our schedule to do that and i'm, I'm doing that r- <clears throat> excuse me i'm doing that right now i just finished a series of meetings in Longmont, Colorado at Faith Point Church, and it was just a tremendous time. I did a direct message today uh, to our supporting community. For those of you who support our ministry, uh, you can go on the Uh, direct message uh, forum the private forum for our supporting community and you can watch that short video and get uh, a brief update of what the Lord did while we were in Longmont it was really a a wonderful time they did not know us I did not know them as I told them it was a blind date but uh, the Lord filled in the gaps and uh, it was just a, a great time during our meeting there which is really common. for all the meetings that we do, I do appeal to the pastors and the leadership of the various churches where we go uh, if they would just set aside some time to where we can do some Q&A. Doing Q&A is important to me because it allows us to really dial in on the specific needs of the local church or the group that I'm speaking to, and pastors, leaders do accommodate that, and it's one of the more fun and exhilarating times, honestly, uh, when we do, when I do these conferences around the country. Sometimes the pastors will ask, "Do you want to see the questions ahead of time?" And I don't. It's not necessary. I think it's more exciting to do it spontaneously. And we did have a Q and a Q and A time in Longmont at Faith Point Church. By the way, before I get too far along, I want to say uh, hello to Dave and Holly Richards. Uh, They drove down from Loveland, Uh, to be at one of the meetings I did, the Sunday uh, morning corporate church meeting, and we went out to lunch with them, and uh, that was a good time. Uh, David, Holly, our longtime supporters of our ministry, and we were close. We were about an hour away, and so uh, they drove down. It was very kind of them Uh, To do that, and I wanted to just give that shout out to them and also to Mark and Karen Hoffman. Uh, They put us up in uh, their home for a few days. Uh, Karen, please uh, tell Caleb and Sam. Uh, Tell Sam I'm missing him, uh, but tell Caleb and Sam I said hello, and Karen and Mark are supporters of our ministry as well, and that's something that we like to do when we travel, preferably uh, if we can stay in people's homes as opposed to hotels. Uh, That too uh, not only allows us to fellowship with the body of Christ, but it helps us to get to know that local body that we are serving, and so thank you so much, Mark and Karen, for putting us up at, um, for the Longmont meeting, putting us up in your home. And then also Jared Gunderson, it was a pleasure to uh, meet you, uh, one of the pastors at Longmont, and I I really enjoyed our fellowship and the lunch that we had on Saturday. And so I do Q&A at most of my meetings, Because, again, I just want to serve the people, I want to hit the nail on the head, and if they ask specific questions, then I know that I'm doing that because these are questions that are are important to them. But typically, I don't get through the questions because there are so many of them, and per usual, it's a little bit slow in the going, Uh, maybe a little inhibition, possibly a little fear of man, but uh, once people get going, there are lots of questions, and that's what happened at Longmont. And so what I want to do in this podcast is I want to cover three of the questions that came in on cards that were written, index cards that were placed in a box, and I want to answer those questions because I could not get to them during the Q&A time. By the way, Lucia joined me for the Q&A time, and that's fun too. That allows them uh, to ask her specific questions. So one of the questions that A lady asked, I think it was Sue, uh, a Jim and Sue, uh, adorable lady, a couple um, at Longmont. uh, What is it like living with a person like me? And what she was referring to is talking about uh, the. Uh, shaping influences in my life, particularly from my childhoods, and so that was a good question for Lucia to answer, and she did join me on stage for that, but there were three questions I could not get to uh, due to time constraints, and so I want to do that here. Let me share those questions with you, and then I'll just roll right through them. Question number one is uh, quite simple. Uh, What is, or or short maybe, what is pangender? Now, the reason they ask this question is because uh, Jared, one of the pastors, asked me uh, to do a talk on transgenderism, which I did Saturday night. Now, I'm going to do the full one hour presentation of that talk that I gave at uh, Faith Point Church I'm going to do it here in this pod in a podcast very soon and then do the one hour video so you can listen to that talk audio format or you can watch the video the keynote presentation uh, that I gave to Longmont and I'll be doing that uh, real soon but one of the and that's why this question here about pangender and so one of the question what is pangender number two What advice would you give to a believer who seeks forgiveness from a believer but the other person refuses to provide it? And then question number three, where in the Bible does it say transgenderism is a sin? I don't see it and believe Christians have developed this restriction due to tradition and not the Bible. Now, this question was asked twice. It was asked in another way, and I live at at uh, Faith Point, and I did answer that question live to the person that was asking it, but then it was also sent in on an index card, and it just seemed to be an important question, and so I want want to cover it in this podcast, and that will be the primary thing that I do want to cover, and that's why I titled this episode 344. The title is, The Bible Does Not Say Transgenderism is a Sin, Right? that is the title and so you can of the episode so you can look for episode 344 and I do have a few show notes here with some other links that would be beneficial to you and so to go to episode 344 again titled the bible does not say transgenderism is a sin right all right, so let me get into the three questions that were asked and I will answer them in the order in which I just presented them to you. The first question is what is pan gender? The word pan basically means omni, you know, like omnipresent, uh, omnipotent, or omniscient. Omni means all, and so pan means all, and so pan Gender suggests that a person is attracted to any gender, basically, pangender, attracted to any gender. It does not matter. Now, you and I know that there are only two genders, male and female, and so when I say that a pangender person is attracted to any gender. Of course, they have this long list of genders. Uh, and it, and it's a growing list seemingly by the day. Now, I don't believe that. There are only two genders, and that's what the Bible teaches and and that's what I believe, and there aren't any others. But nevertheless, some people believe in many genders. And so therefore, one of those genders is pan gender, which means they are attracted to all of them, whatever that number is. And and, and then pangender is different from bisexual. Bisexual uh, typically refers to a person who is attracted to two genders, possibly more, but there's a limited number, limited in scope as far as genders is concerned. Pangender would be different from bisexual that way. A bisexual person would be attracted to a male or a female and maybe two or three others, or other types of of genders. But then pangender has no restriction, no limitation, and so they are, it's a person who is attracted to any kind of person, any kind of gender, according to their listing of it, all right? So that's the question, what is pan- pangender? The second question is, what advice would you give to a believer who seeks forgiveness from a believer, but the other person refuses to Provide it. Now, this is an interesting question, and I I did talk a little bit uh, on forgiveness on Sunday morning. Um, Jared asked me to teach Sunday morning on how people change, and of course, when you start talking about how people change, forgiveness has to be part of of the conversation, because we need to be forgiven by God so that we can change. And of course, we need to be forgiven by others so that we can grow in reconciliation and we can evolve in our relationships. We can experience change in our relationships. And so forgiveness is a Key concept within the Christian worldview, as far as change is concerned. And someone wrote in and said, "Well, what what happens if you have a believer and you ask them for forgiveness, but they refuse to give it?" And and again, that's a common situation situation, sadly. And so I want to speak to that just a moment. And, and for whoever wrote the question, uh, none of these questions were assigned uh, by anyone, which is fine. It's not necessary. Uh, but whoever wrote the question, uh, I trust this will be benef- beneficial for you. And so one of the things that I would ask you uh, is that, is the person a Christian? It, could, it Now, you say that the person is a believer, but it is the person a believer. Is that true? I realize being a believer is a suge- subjective assessment, but there could be a possibility here that the person you think is a believer is not. And so you want to carefully think through that while charitably judging them, charitably Assessing them, recognizing that the log is in your eye, but yet we must at least do the work of trying to carefully assess the person uh, that you are interacting with in this situation. And the reason for that is because if the person is not a believer, then, well, then we're talking about a spiritual concept and the idea of forgiveness it is a spiritual concept, and the natural mind just would not have an affinity or a desire or even understand this idea of forgiveness. And so again, I'm not trying to suggest that they aren't saved or cast doubt in your mind, but it is something that you want to pause just for a moment. You want to reflect, ask the Lord to give you insight as to whether this person is a believer or not. And then the second thing is the person ignorant And I don't mean ignorant in a harsh way, but as I like to say, I'm ignorant of laying brick. I don't know how to lay brick, and I'm ignorant of it. I'm ignorant of a lot of things, and so it's not a harsh label. But a person can be ignorant or unaware of this concept of forgiveness. Maybe they Aren't in the same place in their relationship with the Lord, and the idea of forgiveness is a foreign concept to them, or it could be that they are insecure, it's not a foreign concept to them, but there is an inhibition or a fearfulness about reciprocating that way. Some people can have a hard time, I mean. To ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness is a transparent and a vulnerable interaction between two people. And if a person struggles with fear of man or they are insecure, well, it may be hard for them to transact forgiveness because of their insecurities. And so the first three assessments that I would want you to make, you could put it maybe like this Are they illuminated? Are they ignorant? Are they insecure? And what I mean by illuminated is that. The Spirit illuminating, illuminating, empowering them. Are they born again? Or are they ignorant? Or are there some insecurities that kind of inhibit them from transacting that way with you? Perhaps exploring why they won't forgive you would reveal how you should respond to them. So if any of these three things are in play, maybe spending some time exploring that, and maybe that would change how you interact with them. Perhaps you'll have to do a little extra work with them before you can get to the place that they are willing and able to transact forgiveness with you. The second thing is, well, it's Romans twelve eighteen. You want to do all that depends on you to uh, reconcile the relationship, and that's all you can do. Uh, that is a 50% verse, uh, as in like you go to the 50-yard line uh, from the end zone. They go from the 50-yard line to the from the end zone. You meet in the middle. You do all that you can do, but if they're not willing to meet you halfway, well, then that is all that you can do, and you will have to find rest uh, in that. Now, perhaps you haven't Ask them why they won't transact forgiveness. And so let me just state that I know it's somewhat obvious, and I'm sure you have asked, but if you haven't asked them, then you, if you can, I mean, If you've asked them to forgive you, so I know that you can ask them why they won't. If you already asked them to forgive you, you can ask them why they won't do it and just see what they say. And maybe that would be your starting place with them working through whatever it is that is in the way that keeps them from transacting a forgiveness with you. Now, another thing to consider is your relationship with the person. But perhaps you can overlook the situation at hand. Maybe you can just overlook it and you can forgive them attitudinally for their stubbornness or for their unwillingness to transact forgiveness for you with you. And if you can overlook it and move it move on and you have done as much as depends upon you, well then that's that's as good as it as it's going as it's going to get. But if they're close to you, like a family member or a spouse, a parent or a child, maybe you can overlook it, but there is some work that you will have to do, but perhaps. Uh, as you are ignoring this instance of transactional forgiveness that you'll have to continue to work with the relationship so that you can bring it to a place of, of future reconciliation because you do need to be closer uh, if you're living together or related in such a, a close way. Uh, you do have to do better than that, and you'll need to explore why. And even though you overlook it in this moment, you want to continue to pursue Uh, the relationship. And then one final thing is just seek out a friend, uh, maybe, uh, to intervene in the matter. You know, if someone's not forgiving you, then there's some anger or stubbornness on their part. There's sin on their part. And so now you're in a Matthew 18 type situation, and perhaps it would be prudent to go to another person and y'all come together as three people and try to work through it because they definitely have sin on their part. It could be that they're still stinging, they're still hurting from what you did to them, and it's taking them a while to work through But, you know, if, if they never grant forgiveness, they've never worked through it, and that most definitely is a problem. This is episode 344. The title of it is, The Bible Does Not Say Transgenderism is a Sin, Right?, that is a question mark. It is a question that was asked me in Longmont, Colorado at Faith Point Church during the question and answer time as I did a conference there this past weekend, and so I want to answer that question now, which is the bulk of this podcast, and I do thank the good folks at Longmont or at Faith Point uh, for their participation in the conference. I do love these questions and answers, and so the person says, we're in the Bible, does it say transgenderism is a sin? I don't see it and believe Christians have developed this restriction due to tradition and not the Bible. This is a good question, and it is an honest question, and I really do appreciate it, because there are, there are people uh, who they read their bible and there's things that they don't see or they don't understand uh, the bible as well as they will uh, hopefully in the future as they continue to study it and so this is a sincere question and it's something that we need to explore from from several different angles and i want to try to do that now first of all i don't i don't debate folks uh, on any subject i'm not a debater i don't i don't debate anyone. I I can't even recall the last time I got in a debate with someone because that's not my style. It's not my personality. It's not something that I'm interested in. Debate is for the apologist. Uh, It's for those who like apologetics and they want to give a defense for the faith. And they do get in debates. And I appreciate many of them. and, And thank God that they have a gift and a desire, a passion to do that. But I don't. And so I just don't get into argumentation that's just it's, it's just a preference for me and that's you you don't you won't ever find me on Facebook uh, doing that kind of stuff um, I have more important things to do and so if a person the reason I'm saying that is that if a person really wanted to debate me on this subject whether transgenderism is a sin or not well we would just have to agree to uh, disagree uh, because I'm not interested in winning an argument I'm not interested in arguing for argument's sake. And some people do this, and you do see a lot of this on social media, where people are just spatting. They are just arguing back and forth, and I don't see any redemptive purpose in that, to be honest with you. There are redemptive purposes in apologetics. That's when people are coming together for a civil debate, but that's not what you see a lot of times on social media platforms like Facebook, and and I am not interested in going down that rabbit hole of just arguing so that I can win the argument. I'm not interested in winning the argument. I'm interested in building relationally with people and working through conflict or tensions or disagreements, but that's not debating to win an argument. That is a relational approach to working through issues, and so if a person ca- This person is not doing this, by the way, but if a person came to me and really wanted to drive a stake in the ground that transgenderism isn't in the Bible and they're not interested in asking a question out of humility like what this person is doing, but they just want to argue, then I would not. I would not do it. And I I say that to you because I know that you're all in that place. We all are in that place. The whole world is an argument right now. And I would just appeal to you to not not engage, uh, not do that. Uh, try to discern when a person is genuinely looking for answers and a person just wants to rat-a-tat-tat, uh, point-counterpoint, argue with you. So that's point number one. Number two, I would not initially answer the question. I would ask them to show me in the Bible where it's permitted. Turn the conversation around. They're putting you on the defensive, and too often Christians react defensively with such questions like this when what they should do is pressure the other person to make the argument. Now, that would be an interesting discussion. You tell me where it says transgenderism is okay in the Bible, and I would love to see those texts. Now, they're not going to show you any text, okay? There aren't any text that says transgenderism is okay. So that's point number one. Point number two, if they did show you some text, it would be a wonderful teaching opportunity for you to walk them through those texts exegetically, and to teach them what those texts mean, whichever text that they should bring up, and and help them to realize that they are eisegetically interpreting these texts, meaning that they have an idea that they are beholding to, and they're reading it into Scripture, eisegesis, as opposed a lot of as opposed to allowing the Scripture speak for itself, which is exegesis. And so I would turn the conversation around initially and not jump on the defensive and and ask them to explain to me uh, where the Bible teaches that which they cannot. Now, it's also important to understand that the Bible doesn't speak to most things. And I've talked about this before in other uh, podcasts, but if you hold to a, quote, You must have an exact verse to explain everything End quote, worldview, well, you'll be unable to explain hardly anything, like the Trinity, for example. And so people have this notion that the Bible speaks to everything explicitly. It does not. Now, I have my favorite quote, which I've shared a few times in various podcasts from Herman Bavinck here. He wrote in his Reformed Dogmatics, Volume 2, God and Creation, he said this about this idea, this belief that some people have that uh, you can only quote Scripture like a a parrot uh, rather than extrapolating inferences from Scripture, which we must do. Here's the exact quote from Bovink. Scripture was not given to us in order that we should merely repeat its exact words in parrot-like fashion, but in order that we should digest it in our own minds and express it in our own words. That use was made of Scripture by Jesus and the apostles, who not only quoted the exact words of Scripture, but also, by a process of reasoning, arrived at inferences and conclusions based upon these words. The Bible is neither a statute book nor a dogmatic text, but it is the source of theology. As word of God, not only its exact words have binding authority, but so have all conclusions that are, here's a key phrase, properly derived from it. Furthermore, neither study of scripture nor theological activity is at all possible unless one uses terms that do not occur in the Bible. And that's from Herman Bovink here, uh, Reformed Dogmatics, Dogmatics, Volume 2, God and Creation. And that is essential, uh, because if you hold to a black and white interpretation of Scripture, then you you will not know where to eat tonight, uh, who to marry, where to live, where to work. There are so many questions in life that the Bible does not explicitly Answer, and so we want to be good students of God's Word, and understanding what Bovink is saying here is critically important. This is episode 344. The title of it is The Bible Does Not Say Transgenderism Is a Sin, right? And I'm answering that question now. So first of all, I don't debate folks. Second of all, I would turn the question around, and you prove your point. You prove it from Scripture, and then you can interact with them from that point. The sec- the third point is the Bible doesn't speak the most things, and so we want to be careful, and I would adhere to what Bob Vink is teaching us here. And then number four there is male and female. Uh, Genesis 127 is is quite clear. And then as you move through Scripture, you will see uh, that male and female, there's only two male, female, boys to men and girls to women. And then as you move through Scripture, you see that they have unique functions, and those unique functions also they're specific to them uh, to this these two genders male and female you see it initially in uh, Genesis chapter 2 24 and 25 where the husband and wife come together we we see the uniqueness of a male where he is split Filling his seed uh, on the ground, or a woman's purification, as you uh, see in the scripture. Uh, We see that procreation happens when male and female come together. We see that we imitate the male, imitates Christ in marriage, and the wife reflects the church. And there are many scriptures that point to what a man and a woman are, and they do not point to any other kind of gender. It is just not there. And so there is male and female, and, and that is it, and that is all that Scripture is teaching. I cannot point to uh, transgenderism in the Bible because it, it doesn't exist. There is only male and female. There is not pangender. There's not bisexual. There is male and there is female. Also, to pretend that you're something that is objectively clear Where it's subjectively clear that you're not, well, that's just deception. And so a person who is, because there's only male and female, and a person is pretending, like, say, as a male, to be a female, well, that is deception. And the Bible is very clear about lying. Lying is just it's just not an option. So there is something broken inside of a person who does that. And that person needs our care. These people are trapped people who are pretending to be something that they're not. They need our prayer. They need our gentleness. They need our competence. They need our courage to help them uh, to get out of this trap that they're in. Thanks so much, Faith Point Church, for your questions.